So as I begin, I want to acknowledge that this sermon and this topic is very much a midstream moment. We are in the long arc of the universe addressing racism and oppression, dismantling white supremacy. Uh, I'm doing it in myself. We are doing it in our communities. We're doing this in Unitarian Universalism. It is no surprise to anyone among the longer of the long arcs, I think is safe to say. In fact, just considering the scope of the work is a little bit breathtaking. Far, far longer than the night passing with its own slowness as Jacob wrestled with God. But there is a hope our purpose in doing this and wrestling in this moment. There is the hope of creating a more just, more compassionate existence, right? One where we are fully human in our beauty and in our potential. One where we will keep creating such worlds for our children, including a healthy, ecologically rich earth. This is no less than the beloved community of which so many have spoken, which we are called to by Dr. Martin Luther King himself, recognizing that a beloved community is one that is far, far out in the future. It is practically like hard to truly conceive of. And yet, and yet, as much as it is, is in tomorrow, it also happens right here and right now in our lives. It is both way out there and way in here. It is a lot to live up to, right? Some days, mere community is daunting. Never mind beloved. <laughs> yeah, beloved. Not always feeling the love with the beloveds, right? We are so often disappointed in one another and also in ourselves, frankly. It feels that beloved community is not just not possible, but possible, but impossible. On those days, and even today, I turn to story. Story is how we have been navigating the largest questions ever since our minds started to explain the world. You have mentioned, uh, you've, I hope you've heard me mention on occasion that naming is our superpower. I think storytelling is right adjacent with that, right? As many of you know, before I was entered into ministry, I was in theater. Story is at the core of religion and theater, not an obvious, not a terribly big leap in some ways. But story, story is this entry point for the moment of our ongoing efforts to carve out and create our lives to become more inclusive, more just, more diverse. For several weeks, this spring in March and April, a small group of members and friends engaged with the book, uh, this book, in fact, Mistakes and Miracles, Congregations on the Road to Multiculturalism. It is by the Reverend Nancy Palmer-Jones and Karen Lynn. 
This book is the result of their efforts, started in, I think, 2014, to interview and examine a number of Unitarian Universalist congregations that made intentional choices to become more racially and ethnically diverse and to figure out what happened as a result. Every one of these congregations that are profiled in here knew that this effort would include examining their own systems and culture. Every congregation involved knew they would make mistakes, but exactly what those turned out to be and how to address them, that was very much an unknown and part of the exploration and very much part of the struggle. As Reverend Nancy and as Karen write, for transformation to occur, we all need stories of people who are working to dismantle this culture, this white supremacy. Stories that reveal what it takes to go against the grain. We need stories of people who are striving to create new ways of being together, ways that truly merit the name Beloved Community. So I want to offer a note uh, that I'm focusing on the book and, and this congregation. But if you're new to our congregation, you're visiting, consider this an effort to show our work, because that too is part of the process, mid-process as it is. Because this conversation uh, is also happening across our expanse of human experience right now, in our society, in our time. So I want all of us, wherever we are in this, to take this time seriously, to take this bit of the ark and hold it and be present to it as much as we can. I so appreciate the image um, of, that's included in some of these stories uh, about wrestling, Jacob wrestling with God, because I find, I find in that Maybe I don't necessarily need to give the word, you know, name to the word God, but I find it the embodiment of the deepest existential struggles that we go through. That here are, we are, each of us, ultimately, individually, in this challenge and in this struggling through the dark night and trying to save all that is important to us. There is Jacob trying to get his family and his household through from one place to the next that they may be safe and may establish their lives again. And here he is knowing that he's got to take, try to take God down. That's a little intimidating, right? And he does this. He doesn't win, but he, he stays in this fight. He stays in this fight and then asked to be named and asked, asked to be blessed and asked. It's a fascinating moment of when humanity becomes, uh, when humanity is, is kind of co, is measures up to the divine. It's fascinating, right? And humanity is saying, we are here and we're going to demand our place and our presence, even though we know we're going to come out a bit bruised on the other side. So that's the largest kind of existential arc in which we are doing this work of diversity together. But from the book, I want to share one, one particular profile, just a taste of one of these um, congregations that are documented by Reverend Nancy and by Karen. Uh, 
And this is the one that's probably the most known, most publicly uh, documented in our, uh, in our larger world. Um, part of what they tell, the story they tell is that of All Souls Unitarian Universalist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And All Souls has had the unique experience, particular experience, of developing a relationship with a black Pentecostal church. So Unitarian Universalists, black Pentecostal. Just, wow, right? Let's just start there. Because the two ministers of the congregation's All Souls, the Reverend Marlon Lavinar and uh, Bishop Carlton Pearson, who is the minister, the head religious leader in charge of higher dimensions. Um, they were across the street from each other as congregations, and they got to know each other and develop a friendship. And in the mid-late 90s, uh, Bishop Carlton Pearson came to a spiritual awakening of looking at the struggle in Rwanda and the decimation of population and the terrible treatment of the people in that fight. And he realized that the hell that he had been preaching was not the one that comes after death, but the one that we're creating on earth. And he said, you know, we, we are all human. We are all human and we are all holy. And it's not about, we are all able to be blessed. And so we're all able to be saved. And this became his gospel of inclusion. So he came into a form of universalism that all are holy and all are made whole uh, by the divine in his case. And this got him into a lot of trouble. He started to preach this and his congregation went from 5,000 to 500. And he was excluded from the other uh, Pentecostal congregations, the black Pentecostal associations, and he was basically shunned for preaching this. If you want to know more, uh, look at the video, um, the movie that was made for this in about 2018 called Come Sunday. And it talks about what happened. But also because of this moment, Marlon and Carlton were able to have a relationship and they made a decision, All Souls made a decision to welcome higher dimensions into the church, into All Souls. And so they were living this work of becoming more diverse with not just racial differences, but deep religious cultural differences as well. And you can see that, you could see that for a time in their worship services where they might have a humanist service, a traditional uh, Unitarian Universalist kind of service, and a contemporary worship that was very much gospel uh, in that spirit and singing and so on. It's taken years and I've had the fortune to be close, close to it because uh, my spouse and I were living and serving in Texas along when they were doing this work. It was a gift to be able to hear about pieces of this. And I invite you, uh, this is simply a teaser of this. We'll, we can talk more about this at another time. But they were doing this work also of this historic white congregation and making all kinds of messes along the way and still are doing this work again and again. But I wanna offer part of the context in which All Souls Tulsa and Higher Dimensions, they were coming together. Um, it's not simply that moment, that immediate moment in this 
you know, beginning in the, the 2000s until now. But Tulsa itself has a whole other context. There's also the Tulsa massacre in 1921, which is somewhat only relatively recently being documented and reported. In Tulsa at the time was what was called Black Wall Street. It was the most successful black community in US history. There was wealth, there was prosperity, there was culture that was abundant life in this place. And as so often happens, under the premise of a young black man supposedly harassing a white woman, that was enough to incite a riot. And not just a riot, a massacre. The white folks went through Black Wall Street, burned it to the ground, and in the process left at least 300 black women, men, and children dead at the hands of the mob. And then it was entirely shut down and not spoken about in the white papers. It was erased or attempted to be erased from history. So all Souls' work with Bishop Carlton Pearson is not simply the work of, that, of, of their particular moment, but also the moment of history as well. Every community has its story, has its history. And this, this is a community that has that as well. It's one that we are, as a, as are beginning to uncover and talk about in the course of us thinking about this book and its questions. So we are beginning to say, what is our story? As a congregation, as a predominantly white congregation that has been here since 1843, there's got to be some story, right? But also as, um, also as a congregation that is trying to respond to our contemporary calls to action and reflection. One of the things that we are doing here uh, is we're part of the Faith Coalition for Racial Equity, which started after George Floyd's murder, when he was murdered by the police, when the black leaders in Peoria asked, where are the white churches? A number of faith communities responded, including this one, and, and tried to make something happen over Zoom. I tell you, that was painful and important. And now the body is in year three, about to enter year four, and had the chance to be part of hiring a new police chief with, and bring in a diversity, equity, and inclusion perspective but now we're also in a mushy place as a faith coalition, how we are discovering slowly while remaining committed, building trust. This is not flashy or miraculous or, or you know, kind of necessarily noteworthy or newsworthy work, but it is finding a path of how faith communities coming from vastly different traditions, vastly different structures, 
also how those of us who benefit from white privilege can be part of addressing racism and its impact in Peoria. There is no map, there is no plan, there is nothing that has, there's nothing to help show us the way, but there is a willingness to stay at the table. And so in that willingness comes so much. That's why we keep putting different programs in front of ourselves in different adult ed programs and different conversations. The children and youth are right now working on how to be an anti-racist um, by Ibram Kendi, for example. Every conversation, every study is part of our task, not with the hope that a miracle happens, and that everything is suddenly all right and just, but that we are keep going with the work, that we don't shut that down as they did in Tulsa, right? That we keep going with the work. So I want to offer a couple of notes from our conversation with mistakes and miracles that some of us just had. One is the question that came out. What is our intention? as a congregation regarding diversity, equity, multiculturalism. What is our intention? The congregations all profiled, each came up with a specific plan, a specific hope. So I wanna offer that question. We'll find a way to get maybe put more legs to it and put more form to it, but we have to begin with the question, what is our intention? As a congregation that continues to commit to racial justice as a social action priority, what does that mean? What now? There are two lessons I want to bring out that came from our book study of Mistakes and Miracles. One is kind of the continuing nature of this effort. I think there can be a real temptation to feel like, hey, we've done all this great racial justice work in this training. Can we move on and do something else? And the answer is no. That as much as we have an idea of what beloved community is and what it looks like, it doesn't get formed in the short term. This is ongoing effort. We aim high and accept the progress made, but also we know we will fall short. It's the most important thing to do to keep pushing, to keep trying and not to expect that we will solve everything or be completely successful even while we try. And we must keep trying. So that continuing call to the effort, that's the first lesson. Um, Reverend Nancy Jones and Karen Lynn offer a similar thought at the end of Mistakes and Miracles. Um, they say, none of us can do the work without conflict. What matters is what happens with that conflict. We witness small steps toward healing, new ways of being. Redemption may be incomplete, heck it will be incomplete. It may be partial in every sense, but turning to face the trouble, turning to face the trouble offers hope every time. The other takeaway from our own small group is recognizing the scale the small scale and how, what is worthy in the microcosm of being with each other, how much it makes a difference that a little bit of compassion 
can ripple out into this work, whether we perceive each other as fully human, it makes a difference. And some of us were realizing that after the pandemic, that we realized that there were so many people we didn't know. So many familiar faces, but not really actually knowing them and forcing ourselves out of the comfort zone. Like you might wait all week to go hang out with your friend at coffee hour because, you know, I'm certainly doing that too sometimes. And maybe not so much engage with the stranger or the less known. But how wonderful it is to meet and add to the depth of our community to meet and pull people in. Inclusion, as Joe Lakota pointed out in this conversation, takes intent and work. Inclusion takes intent and work. So I started out with the, the grand scope of that arc of the universe, but our path in this moment is to find the story that can make it bite-sized and personal. This isn't a flashy end, but one more moment of wrestling in this great arc. We know how high the stakes are in our society. This is not polite, nice visiting, good Midwestern nice visiting. I mean, we know that, right? This is life and death. It's ours and our neighbors. And we fight through the ages, including against ourselves, with and for all of us. The miracle in the mistakes and miracles is the rediscovery of love and connection. Reverend Nancy and Karen say, talk about what they love best, which was the making of the connections, the experience of relationship. They say it matters that we listen over and over, we witness this human longing to find a place of meaning-making and belonging. Over and over, we witness the willingness to wrestle with the realities of a place when it falls short of its aspirations. This is our great work. This is our great story. And the great gift that we have is that we do it together. So let us go forth answering that question, what is our intention? Our intention is to keep going, to be present, to live abundantly, and to keep working for that beloved community. Amen.